Not much left to preach after that video. I mean, like, you're not dismissed, but I could have dismissed you, and you would have been good for the week from that, I think. We are wrapping up our series that is written by Mark Batterson off of the book Chase the Lion. And if you haven't been with us yet, if this is your first week with us, one of the major things that we've been working through is the truth that if the dream, the vision, the calling that you have for your life, that we believe God has placed a calling on every individual, each one of us have a dream and a vision and a purpose for our lives. If that dream isn't so big that it scares you, then, then I believe that you're dreaming too small, you're dishonoring God with the size of the vision of what he's entrusted with you with, the gifts that he has placed in you. I believe your vision is too small. If when you say what you believe the calling on your life is to someone else, if they don't look at you to see if you're joking right now, I believe, I believe you're dreaming too small. Because I believe that when we are God's children and, and, and he, we have this powerful God who, who can move mountains, but we're only praying for, for, you know, God, let it not be cloudy today. I mean, we're, we're, we're dreaming too small. God, just help me to have a good day. We're dreaming too small. And, and I believe that God wants to do something bigger through his church and bigger through your life than maybe what the last five years have been looking like. You know, t- today is going to be a fun message. I'm excited for this one and, and for what it means for the way that we do our life. One of the things that it reminded me of, if you've ever met a professional athlete and, and been around them, first of all, it's funny because like all the little guys in the NBA, like they're my height and they just look so tiny, but, but if you get around like a 6'8", 6'10", guy, get around a Kevin Durant height guy, there's part of us, at least in me, that says, wow, it must be nice, you know, because if you're 6'8", of course you're going to be in the NBA. It, it's easy to look at something that's successful like one of these guys who have spent hours upon hours in the gym, running, weightlifting, training, practicing, It's easy to look at someone who's successful and just say, oh, it must be nice, because there's part of us that says success just happens. You're either successful or you're not. And we miss the hours of sweat and tears and pain that people go through to be successful. We miss the work that happens, and especially when it gets to the truth about when we believe that God is part of a dream, when we say, I believe God has called me to do this. I think there's part of us that just says, Well, if God has called us to do this, to fight this fight, to dream this dream, to live this out, to make this happen, there's part of us that says, well, then it should come easy, and if it doesn't come easy, then it must not have been from God. And if that belief has been somewhere in the back of your mind or part of the way that you viewed the last few years of your life, I want to begin to disprove that today. Because I believe what we see in Scripture and what we've seen in experience is that when God calls us to do something, He doesn't save us from the sweat. He doesn't keep us from the work, from the little things, from the early mornings, from from the the times where we just don't feel like we have anything more to give. I believe in those moments where we push beyond our capacity, the moments that we get to see God show up and do amazing things. So what does this have to do with David's mighty men? We've been studying this passage in 2 Samuel chapter 23 that's dealing with this group of people that were called David's mighty men. And this is about King David, and these were like his special forces. And he talks about 37 different guys, but he really narrows it down to three. That there is this three, this core group, that were just incredible. And and the risks that they took, and the things that they did, it was just boggling to the mind. And and we looked at Benaniah, who, who he chased a lion, which is a ridiculous thing to do. 
Like most people, you, you see a lion, you turn and you go the other way. He saw a lion and he chased it on a snowy day down into a pit and he killed it. And that was like his resume for becoming the bodyguard to, to King David. And, and then last week, we, we looked at, at someone who raised his spear against 800 people, which is ridiculous odds. And today we're looking at Eleazar. And, and he was someone who in the midst of a battle, when, when everyone else around him ran, he stood his ground. And, and it's an incredible story. It's a, it's a short passage. If you have your Bible, you can open up to 2 Samuel 23, verses 9 through 10, and we'll project the words on the screen. And it says, and next to him, him being David, next to David was Eleazar, son of Dodai, the, the Ahoite, as one of the three mighty warriors. He was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pass Damon for for battle. I'm always very careful when I say that because, man, that looks like a different word if you're not careful. Then the Israelites retreated, but Eleazar stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. Now we're ready to talk about ways to fight for your dream. I mean, just to begin to look at this, to put yourself in the situation, and you have to put, put off that, that bias of knowing how the story comes out. Can you imagine being in this small mob of people and across another field there is another small mob of people that are getting ready to do battle with each other? And some of the leaders step forward, David and Eleazar, and they're taunting the Philistines saying, come on, bring on the fight, let's throw hands, let's get down, all right, come on. And then the Philistines, they say, okay, and the Philistines start coming. And as the Philistines, the opposition is arriving, the Israelite army starts to to move back. They start to disappear. And it says that Eleazar was with David, and so David was still there, and Eleazar was there, and there was something in their hearts that even though they, they heard the sound of, of their fellow countrymen stepping away from this battle that they were called to fight, that they knew that they should be in, there was something in their hearts that said, this is worth dying for, this is worth standing my ground for. This is not a moment when I'm going to run away. And, and, and they stood, and then they fought for so long and so hard that Eleazar reached a point where the pain from using the muscle in his arm, it grew so intense that, the, that they began to just lock up. And what the passage says in here is that he fought so long that his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. Last week, I challenged you guys to actually write this down. But what is the dream, what is the calling, what is the vision in your life that is worth dying for? That, that is worth, man, I'm going to fight for this, and even if I fail, I would rather live my life fighting to see this vision happen in my life. I would rather fail at it than never try. I, I, I challenge you guys to write that down because you can't fight for something that you don't know what it is. And I can't tell you what God's vision for, for your heart is for your life, for your family, for your marriage, for your career, for this community, for ways that you can impact other communities. I can't tell you what that vision is for you. But I believe that God will show that to you as you seek after him. But as you've identified that, for, for those of you guys who begin to have the picture of this stage, these next months, these next years of my life, this is what I should do. What's a success look like for you? I'm going to give you five stupid, simple steps to, to take to begin to pursue this vision and this dream that God has for your life. And the first one is, what does success look like? For, for those men on that day, it was standing their ground. 
And this is an interesting thing because they didn't know what the outcome would be. They just knew that they weren't willing to run in that circumstance. They knew they weren't called to run. They knew that they were called to stand. And David had already slayed a giant with a stone. David had already seen that when God calls you to something, even though it might look terrifying, God is going to see you through it. So I believe that as Eliezer stood there next to David, and David didn't flinch because of his past experiences, Eliezer said, I can't leave my future king. Because his vision was to see David on the throne. And and this is one of the things we talked about before as well. Sometimes when you're figuring out your vision, the thing that you need to do is you need to get next to someone else who has a strong vision for their life and help them achieve that vision, and through that you'll find the vision for your life. And so Eliezer was saying, I'm going to stay and I'm going to stand. Because they knew for them what the goal was. And they knew that what steps they would have to take. And so first of all for you, do you know what success looks like? Do you know what you're moving towards to pursue the goals for, for your life? The goals that God has placed on your heart. What does success look like? How, how would you define success for your life? One of the ways that I define success for my life Success is when those who know me best respect me the most. If, I, if I'm not loved in my family, I don't care if I'm loved in the city. And let me unpack that a little bit because I want to say this right. I am committed to Gulfside Church and I want to be here until they bury me. Like I want to live my life and see where God takes this thing. This is where I'm going to be. But it goes in this order. that I, I first am committed to my relationship with Christ. That's the center and foundation of my life. From that, I am Tia's husband. Beyond that, I'm a father to my children. And if I'm not loved there, it doesn't matter how great of a a pastor I am. And, And I know that I will die for any one of those three things, and I will serve and pour my life out for this church, but those are the things that I have to serve, protect, live, and die for more than anything else. And so for me, success is those kids, as they grow up, they have no doubt that their father loves them. And because they know how much their father loves them, it's easy for them to understand that their heavenly father loves them. And so that's success for me. What is success for you at this stage in life? I'll tell you, there's other things of, for, of success for me too. I, I want to pour my life out and take risks for this church. I want us to do things that will make people in the community ask if we're just a little bit crazy. And, and the answer is, yeah, we are. But we're so committed to this vision that we will do things that might turn heads because this message of the gospel is so important that we have to find ways to engage with them wherever they are. So we move towards where people are. But what does success look like in your life? What are the things that you live and die for in these coming seasons? You need to have those defined. You need to know what success looks like for you. You need to know what fight you are fighting. And you need to believe that as you walk through those steps and live for God in that way that you're going to see it come to fruition. It, Hebrews 5, or Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us another definition of faith. We talked in the past weeks that faith is the willingness to look foolish. Faith is the process of unlearning our fears. Faith is taking the first step before God reveals the second step. And then Hebrews 11.1 1 says faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. In each one of these passages, we, we, we understand that faith is being described as something where God gives us the picture. God gives us the description, but we, we might be able to see it in our heart and see it in our mind, but we haven't seen it with our life yet. And so it requires us to believe with certainty that God is going to show up and take that step. 
It's that, that you know, definition I gave of faith is being willing to take the first step before you see the second. And so as we define this is what success, success looks like, I have to begin to start moving towards it. But I know that when we do that, it doesn't just happen. In fact, sometimes we might feel embarrassed or we might not know how to do things the right way yet. And so we begin to encounter this struggle of, um, I feel shame because I should have been further in my faith than this, or I, I should have started this years ago, or I should have started healing these relationships with people before. I never should have broke those relationships. Now I have to go back and fix them. And there's this process of, I want to honor God, but I don't want to be embarrassed. One of the things that I'd encourage you on, and, and hear me with a heart of humility on this, because, man, I've, <laughs> I've embarrassed myself plenty in my life. Um, but in, in Hebrews 12, it talks about that, that Jesus endured the cross, and the shame, and he scorned the shame that came along with it for the joy that was set before him. But when Jesus lived, I mean, he, in the eyes of people who were around him, he was put to the worst shame. And talk about difficulty, I mean, his, his hands and his feet were pierced with nails. He, he was hung naked on a cross to be laughed at. And at any given point through that process, Jesus could have just said, no, that's enough. I mean, he talked about how he could send a legion of angels to, to stop what was happening. But, but he endured that pain because the joy that would come at the end was the fact that you, you, could be reunited with your heavenly Father because of his sacrifice. And that joy that was set before him, he was willing to endure all of the pain and all of the suffering and all of the shame because he knew what would come at the end. And I believe that in the same way, in our lives, when we are dealing with the struggles of chasing after the things that God calls us to do, and, and dealing with the embarrassment, dealing with the difficulty, dealing with the way that it changes our relationships, that when we're going through that, the thing that keeps pushing us forward is knowing God has called me to do this, and there will be joy at the end. He has a purpose for this. He's not bringing me through this pain for no purpose, but he has a place that he wants to put me at. And so I'm going to endure this pain, I'm going to endure this difficulty, because I know what I'm moving towards. I know what success is going to look like. I know that I'm called to do this. <coughs> and so once we've designed, defined what success is going to look like, and we know the dream that God has ahead of us, one of the, the stupid, simple steps, uh, number two, is take it one step at a time. When we look at the battle that Eleazar was fighting, there, there was no way for him to swing his sword one time and the whole army is gone. And in fact, what we see in the passage is that he had to fight for so long that, that his muscles locked up. And I just want to tell you that, like, I know that when, when God puts something on our heart, there's a feeling inside of us that just says, okay, I'm going to obey God, and in one afternoon, I'm going to see him change everything about my life. And then that afternoon ends, and then the next afternoon ends, and then the month ends, and a year goes by, and it's like, God, this is a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. I must have heard wrong. This is too difficult. This is too challenging. This is too taxing. I'm, I should just give up and do something else because I must have heard wrong from God. When the truth is, God says take it one step at a time, and what we see from Scripture and what we've learned from experience is that somehow God is honored when we continue to be faithful in the small things. God is honored in the pouring out of sweat. And I want to encourage you today that if you've been chasing after something and you feel like, I should have arrived by now. 
I don't believe that it's time for you to give up yet. And in Eleazar's case, I mean, he had to fight until his hand could move no longer. Can you imagine the work? I mean, if any of you guys have been in the gyms and you've tortured yourself with something that they like to call pyramids or drop sets where you start at one weight and you slowly just take a few pounds off, just two and a half pounds off of each side and you, and you do lifts until you can't even lift your arms up in the air anymore. I mean, that's the place where Eliezer got to where he couldn't even lift his arm and his hand was frozen to it. Now, this is a very far, far stretch from it's just going to happen. Like, and, and if you're one of these people, I, I, I love you, and, but I want you to know there, you have a lot of company. I can't tell you how many people have told me, man, if I win that lottery this week, I'm buying you a church. Like, so many people have told me that. And, and I mean, that, that's great. If you win millions of dollars, I highly encourage you to tithe that. That's a wonderful thought. Um, but that's, that's not my anticipation or expectation of how God's going to build this church. I do not expect an overnight success. I do not expect a microwave church. I expect a crockpot church. I expect that we will be faithful one step at a time. And slowly through time, as we are faithful with this building and we take good care of the relationships and the structure here, that slowly God will open doors for us to be in better positions. And it's going to take time. And whatever dream it is that is set in your heart, if you're saying, how do I get here? It seems so far away. It's one step at a time. It's one act of faithfulness at a time. As Jesus talked about, if you're faithful in the small things, you will be trusted with great things. You get into shape one workout at a time. You get out of debt one payment at a time. You earn your degree one class at a time. You produce an album one rehearsal at a time. You get the job promotion one project at a time. You get the game ball one practice at a time. It's one step at a time, church. This is how we honor God in our life. It's not a miracle turnaround, but it's faithfulness that we're called to every morning and every night. The, the next stupid, simple step, and it's just this little preposition that we see in 2 Samuel 23.9. It says that Eleazar was with David. Get around the right people. I believe this is one of the steps to achieving your dream, and I believe that it's taught throughout Scripture that we have to be aware about who's influencing us. I mean, Proverbs talks about it, that the companion of fools suffers harm. And, and if you're putting yourself around people who are dragging you in the wrong direction, that their weight and the gravity of their life, the way that they live, is pulling you from the dream that you know you should be pursuing, you need to reevaluate. And as we look at Scripture, we see this modeled so many different times. We see that Joshua followed Moses up Sinai. We, we see that, that Ruth followed her grandmother around, and that opened huge doors for her, that Elisha shadowed Elijah for years. And getting around the right people, it paid dividends. Joshua took over for Moses, leading the people into the promised land. Elisha got, Elisha got Elijah's mantle and received a double portion of anointing and power of how God worked through his life. Ruth got a second chance at love by marrying Boaz because she followed her, her mother-in-law around. And they had a boy named Obed, who had a boy named Jesse, who had a boy named David, who would be king. Being around the right people, it matters. Being around the right people encourages your heart and protects your life in so many different ways. And God will use those moments and those connections when you put yourself under mentorship of the right people in your life. The fourth thing ha has to do with mindset. And, and uh, the, the term that I'm going to use for this, uh, number four, is adopt a growth mindset. 
There, there has to be a shift in our mindset that gets away from a, this is just how I am mentality. Because what that statement is, like, to just be frank, is like, I'm, I'm going to be a jerk, and I'm going to continue to be a jerk, and I don't care if, you're a, if you think I'm a jerk. And, and I want to tell you that that mindset, it's not scriptural, it's not practical, and it's not helpful. It, it, it would be easy to look at a situation and say, you know what, this, what, what you're asking me to do, what scripture's asking me to do, what I think that I should do is beyond my capacity as a person. I can't grow beyond what I currently am. I don't have abilities or strength beyond what I currently have. That mentality, it's not scriptural because as you go to every instruction that we have in scripture, the implication is that you have the ability to adjust and change your life. Every instruction from sexual morality to the way that we use our words to the way that we spend our money to the way that we look at other people to the way that we treat strangers, every instruction inside of scripture tells you you have the capacity to change and grow. The role of the Holy Spirit in your life is to convict you of sin, to change you, to move you, to counsel you. The reason it's counseling you is because you have been doing the wrong things. And God doesn't want you to live that way anymore. He has something better for you. And so this mentality of like, this is just how I am, that just doesn't work. And in so many moments where we're, we're standing like Eleazar in a battlefield and we say, okay, this is too big for me. God says, I haven't called you to worry about the end result. I've ca- called you to stand. I've called you to fight. Be faithful where you are. And we have to be faithful to say, okay, I'm going to believe that God will handle my capacity if I'm faithful with each one of these steps. And, and if you've had this fixed mentality of I'm just stuck here, you're crippling yourself. You're damaging the relationships around you. And I'd even, and, and, uh, hear me f- from a gentle heart here, I believe you're dishonoring God in your relationship with him because he wants to do something more in your life. And I can say this because I know this is true of myself. I've been walking with Christ for a while now. I've been a pastor for a while now. But I know that he's still working on me. And he's still calling me to change and grow. So this isn't just you. This is me. And so when he says, you know, it might feel like it's too exhausting, too difficult, too challenging to, to, to fight this fight. It's beyond your capacity. Don't limit God in your life. Allow him to work and allow him to do something through you that you didn't think you would be able to do. Rowdy Gaines is an Olympic gold medalist. He won a medal in 1984. Um, And an interesting thing about him, he trained for eight years because the U.S. boycotted the Olympics in 1980. So he had to train eight years. Talk about putting your work and sweat in. Eight years for a race that would last 49 seconds. How do you stay focused? How do you stay passionate for eight years of knowing that, you know, I just want to do this 49-second race. <laughs> like, like, do we really need all this time? And when asked about how he stayed focused, he said, every single day, I wasn't worried about what anyone else was doing. Every single day when I got out to, r- to practice, I would race against myself. I wanted to know what my time was from the day before, and I wanted to beat my own time. I wanted to change my capacity one quarter of a stroke at a time. And, and he had this great, this great illustration of his life through, through understanding our capacity is flexible. And if you have felt like you were locked up and you know what, maybe, 
Maybe on your own, your capacity is not flexible. But that's the beauty of it. You are not on your own. And that's why the Holy Spirit is here in your life and he's pushing on your back about the areas you need to change right now. And that's why the church is here to hold you by the arm and hold you up as you fight this fight, to stand alongside you saying, no, we're not going to run from this. We're going to push forward. Because we're all in this together. We're all fighting this. And and then the the, the fifth point, the fifth just simple, stupid point to see these dreams come to life is we have to fight till our hand freezes to the sword. You know, in our life, in the way that we've been living, at, just generally as a Christian church, I'd say one of the areas that we've missed on in this fight is that I feel like so much of the church is like just on defense. It's like we're not moving forward in the fight, we're just trying to stand back. Like the way that we parent our kids largely becomes like, you know, it, when they do something stupid, like we try to protect them and we try to defend them. Like, no, you're not supposed to do that, you could get hurt. But as far as like saying, or no, you know, we don't do that because God says, but we're not like actually on offense with our kids in the way that we train them. Saying, you know what, we need to go and do this. We need to go and pray for people. We need to go and serve. We need to get to church early so that we can serve and help in this area. We, we need to, you know, look at our finances and we need to find a way to give and we need to be moving forward. And the way that we live our, our faith out in, in the office place, it's not like, oh, someone offended me, so now I'm going to pipe up. But it's actually not just the defensive mindset, but it's the offensive mindset of I'm going to move out and I'm going to find a way to break into someone's conversation and let them know what God is doing in my life. To let them know that, that I'm connected to a place where they would be loved and welcomed. That our faith, we need to begin to live it out in a way that is on offense, not offensive. We don't need to offend people. That happens well enough in our culture. But a church that is actually moving out towards people with a message of love and hope and the whole truth of the gospel, that they matter because there is a part of them that is eternal. And God so loved them that he sent his son to die on a cross. And that there is no other name under heaven by which they must be saved. And so we carry this truth and this love to them. And we, and we live a, a faith that is on offense, not just on defense. Our faith, as we live it out, I, I believe that we see things happen. And, and as we move forward, I believe that there are, are moments where things turn around, but it's not like, it's not just overnight. And this is the interesting thing, and this is, this is a waypoint in chasing down your dream that I've seen in my own life, and I, I believe we see in Scripture as well. When you reach a point in your faithfulness where you're content to just to just go after the small task, go after the small task, and you're no longer just saying, God, when will this be over? When will this be over? When, when do I get the dream? I believe when you get to the point in your life where I just want to be faithful with the small step that God has asked me to take, and if I arrive or I don't arrive, that doesn't matter, but I, I, I'm just going to be faithful, I believe that's the moment where we see God's favor on display and where he does something that we couldn't have done, and we see his hand work in a miraculous way, and he just shows up and shows off. And so, I just, I, I want to dispel the myth that if you think when you get started, God's just going to show up and he's going to make it all easy. I want that out of our mind. But I do want to tell you, I believe that he does, but I believe it's that point where you say, God, my life and my obedience is just about you. And this dream that you've placed on my heart, 
I trust it into your hands. I know that you've called me to fight on this battlefield. Even when it feels unwinnable, I will continue to fight. Even when my arm starts to feel like it's going to give way, I'm going to still make it work. Even when I feel like my hand is just like beyond my control and I can't even use it the way that I think I should use it, I'm going to trust you. Even when the people around me have run it, and so I don't have the resources that I should have. I and mean, when we look back to Benaiah's life, he, when he got in a fight with the Egyptian that we looked at, he didn't even have a spear, so he used a club to take the Egyptian spear. When we don't have the resources that we need, we'll continue to be faithful. And we'll do whatever we have to do to accomplish the mission, the dream, the vision that God has set on our heart. As I begin to wrap this up, I want to tell you a story because we, we see the stories in Scripture and it's like, okay, yes, of, of course they won. You know, God was on their side and it's written in Scripture, so we already know the ending. But when we see moments like this happen in history, it's interesting. If Bree would go ahead and help me start closing this thing out, I would love that. Thank you. Um, Joshua Chamberlain, he was actually a college professor during the Civil War. And during the first year of the Civil War, he just kind of stayed out of it. But when he realized that it wasn't going to be over quickly, he decided to enlist with the Union. And he said, you know, I don't really have experience in this area, but I'm, I'm a good learner. And so they created a brigade for him, and they just kind of took men from all the other ones, which was almost described as like the last picked guys, the guys that you no longer want in your troop. And so he had this group uh, of about a thousand guys. And after two years, his, his brigade had dwindled down to around 200 doesn't that feel like great leadership there? I mean, you feel like you're really succeeding when you lose 800 people. And then to supplement his troops, he was given 160 guys from the, the 2nd platoon in Maine, or the 2nd Army Brigade. And these were actually men who thought they signed a two-year contract, but it was actually a three. So when the rest of their, their friends got to go back after two years, they were told they have to stay for another. And so they were mutinous, like they wanted to go home. They knew that Joshua had orders that if they didn't do their duties, that he should execute them. So if they did really want to go home, they would have to kill him and then try to leave. Can you just understand the tension that Joshua Chamberlain was living in? And he found himself with orders to hold the high ground during the Battle of Gettysburg. And, and their group, though they were fighting valiantly, they were whittled down to 80 men against 4,000 Confederate soldiers. And as they were approaching their last rounds, he had a decision to make. And he, he distributed the last rounds, told the men to prepare their bayonet, and in front of 4,000 Confederate troops, he raised his bayonet, he raised his spear, and he screamed, charge! And in what is one of the most improbable situations throughout history, 80 men captured 4,000. It caught them off guard, and the Confederate soldiers began to throw down their guns and surrender to these 80 men who charged the battlefield. And historians theorize that if they had lost that high ground on that day, they would have lost the Battle of Gettysburg, and the Union may have lost the war. And after that, he went on to be, Joshua Chamberlain went on to be the um, president of his college, and he went on to receive a Medal of Honor from President Grover Cleveland. And in, in some of his words, describing the moment, he, he said, and, and I'll read this to make sure I get it right. 
he's, in his last words reflecting upon the war, he said, I knew I may die, but I also knew that I would not die with a bullet in my back. I had deep within me the inability to do nothing. Now look, church, you've got a vision and you've got a dream and you have a purpose. And I hope that you've sought after God and you've found that and that you can name it and you can write it down. And if you don't have that yet, I believe you need to seek after him and find what that is. And I want us to be a people who would say, in the face of overwhelming odds, I will not turn away from pushing this vision forward. I will charge out into that field and I will trust God with the results. And I want to commission you to that fight. I want you to understand it will take sweat, it will take years, it will not appear overnight as if magic, but God has called me to fight something and this is my prayer as I've been going through this for myself, but this is my prayer that I would like to share with you that I would ask you to ask God to do in your life. And it's simple. God, exhaust me beyond my capacity for your glory. God, exhaust me beyond my capacity for your glory. May my strength be poured out. May my sweat be poured out. May my energy in my life be poured into something that matters. So that when I see you at the end of the day, at the end of my life, I know you will look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You used what I gave you, you invested it, you risked, and now I'll trust you with even greater things. We've talked about the Lion Chasers Manifesto each week of this, but as we close, I'm actually going to have a video that plays, and it's some of the people from our church's own voice saying it. And I wanted to close the series up with this as a way of saying, okay, this is a great concept, but until it's our voice praying this prayer, it's not going to help us. And so I want you to lean in. I want you to take risks. I want you to step forward. I want you to pursue this. This is why I gave you these five steps to pursue the dream, because I don't want it to just be something that's out there, but I want it to be something that hits the road this week, today. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much that you have called us to live an adventure, to seize an opportunity, to take a risk, to chase a lion, to stand in the field of battle when it seems improbable, but standing for your name and your purpose, we know that we will always have victory because you have something you want to accomplish on this earth and through our life. And so, Father, give us courage and boldness to step forward into whatever it is that is before us. And may you be honored by each step, each drop of sweat, each time we raise our hand up in battle. May you be honored as we pursue the vision and the calling that you've placed on our life. In Jesus' name I pray.